0: All right, turn with me to Matthew chapter seven. Uh, What a crazy passage we get to be in this morning as we discuss uh, judgment, and uh, I we're going to wrestle through with some really easy words from Jesus today when he says, "Do not judge." Right? Uh, This is a cakewalk for us. And this last week, as I was praying through this time this morning. Um, just really praying that the Lord would use this time to reveal anything in our own hearts that is off, um, but also give us a, a proper perspective of what it is that Jesus is teaching from this passage. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Um, it's, again, we're, we've been in this, this section of Scripture in the book of Matthew, referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that Jesus, Jesus ever preached. And I was sort of thinking, like, that going into this week, it'd be really nice to have one week where we can talk about something that's really easy, and it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case for a while. As you kind of get into the teachings of Jesus, it seems like it's kind of home run after home run after home run, and every week I'm just like, whoa, this is a really heavy topic. But this one specifically, in the time and day that we're living in, is something that I think that Christians need to take to heart, and we need to understand what it is Jesus is teaching here. Because when we talk about being judgmental, I think all of us even show up here this morning and we have somebody in our mind who should be here today and we don't think it's us, right? Um, somebody in our minds who's the judgmental person and we don't like to point the finger, the finger at ourselves. And judgmentalism is always a problem for somebody else but very rarely do you meet somebody who says, I'm just one of the most judgmental people that you're ever gonna meet in your life. Like, it just doesn't happen. We don't say that. Most of the time we say things like, I think I'm right. I'm not judgmental. I'm just right. Like, I have the right answer. I'm, I'm right the majority of the time, and I don't mind telling people that I'm right. I mean, that's kind of the culture that we live in. So from somebody, speaking personally, from somebody who has been wrestling with this whole idea of judgmentalism throughout this last week, Uh, you might fall into the same category that I find myself falling into with regards to being maybe some sort of a secret judger. Uh, Because the more I dug into this this last week, the more I realized there are many areas of my life that I'm judgmental in. Uh, For instance, uh, I'm judgmental of you if you think that uh, cats are better than dogs, right? Uh, It says you need to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Like Cats are of the devil. Um, but I hate cats. But on a more serious note, um, as I thought about this was, this week, I realized that uh, I tend sometimes to be judgmental of people that I perceive to be lazy. Anybody else have that problem? That's, there's an issue that I have. Uh, I find that I'm judgmental of people who carry the name of Jesus publicly, but then use it to wound people. I'm judgmental of that. I'm judgmental of people who I feel like are judgmental. <laughs> um, I, I And I, I don't think that Jesus wants to let me off easy this week as I was reading through this and realizing the areas of my own life. I mean, oftentimes when I judge somebody, what I picture is Jesus sort of with his arm around me saying, Chris, go get him, you know, like... Go sick, him, man. Like, I picture Jesus saying, I'm with you, I'm backing you, I feel the same way you do, man. Like, go get them. And my guess is that there are times in your life when you feel the exact same way. Like, Jesus is with you to go after on this mission to judge others. And, and so it's, it's why we think we're non judgmental, because we just think we're right, and we think Jesus is always on our side in our being right. And so I just want to gently propose to you this morning that this message might not be for somebody else. It might be for you. And I would ask you this morning to open up your heart and let the Lord speak to you. Um, And the reason I know this is because as I spent time studying through this this week, I I realized that it was for me. Like I, I, I see the plank in my own eye as we get down into this passage this morning. There was a study done by, in a book called UnChristian. Did anybody ever read that book? Anybody? Um, it was written by a guy named David Kinnaman and another guy named Gabe, Gabe Lyons uh, a number of years ago. And they did this survey of young people, and they asked them what they thought of Christians. And so they, they gave them a number of different words to choose from when it came to Christians. And so there were three words that rose to the top. of people outside of the Christian faith perceived those who are followers of the way of Jesus as being judgmental. 87%. The other two words that they used were hypocritical and anti-gay. So those were the three top words that were used to describe Christians. So... You just know, if you tell somebody you're a follower of Jesus, and they're not connected to a church, or they don't have a good idea of what followers of Jesus believe, that they're going to draw a conclusion about you. And these are the conclusions that they're drawing about us. One of them is that you're judgmental. Like maybe, just maybe, it's it's a bigger issue than somebody else's issue. Maybe what they're picking up on is something that we actually need to wrestle with. I don't think the answer is like, well, we're not really that way. I think the answer is acknowledging what in us might be off and where maybe we've come across as judgmental to others. I think that maybe there's some looking into the mirror that we have to do in order to ask Jesus, is there part of what you're saying, um, part of what they're saying, that's correct? Are they right in any of this? Are they calling out a part of us that 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 Jesus sort of wants to refine, that Jesus wants to shape, that he wants to heal, that Jesus wants to step into and speak into. And even though I didn't think I'm necessarily a judgmental person, what I found is that there are some pieces of me that actually like judging others. Quite honestly, it it makes me feel better about me. And what Jesus not so gently says is, man, when you you do um, that, when you judge others, you get into some trouble, and Jesus is simply saying, do not judge, and so we're going to talk about it in just a moment. Let me pray, and then let's dig into this passage. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We pray, God, that you would use a flashlight to shine on the areas of our heart that we have come across as judgmental, or we have somehow placed ourselves in a position of being better than somebody else, or knowing more than somebody else. And I pray this morning for your humility to be present, your love, your kindness to be present in us, Jesus. I pray you'd use this time to challenge us and speak to us, encourage us, and show us the better way, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So this word, judgment, is a, a massive word. And we all have this idea in our head of what that word might mean. And so I, I want to first tell you what I think it doesn't mean. Um, three things that Jesus doesn't mean when He says this. Jesus, when Jesus says, "Do not judge," He doesn't mean "do not think." That's not what Jesus is saying. Second thing he doesn't mean is that you've got to agree with everybody else. Like Did anybody else think that that was impossible, like to agree with anybody else? Like you can't agree with everyone. Because there's a number of people who disagree on things and you've got to choose which one you think is closest. You can't agree with everyone. Third thing, finally, Jesus doesn't mean that when you disagree with somebody or you think that there's a better way that you've just got to hold your tongue and sit on your hands and say nothing. Don't judge, say nothing, and that's not what Jesus means. So one of the questions we ask then is like, what is it that Jesus does mean? Um, If you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew 7, let's read this passage, verses 1 through 6. Jesus says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Um, Believe it or not, this is like one of the most popular verses that non-Christians know. When they think of a passage that they can recognize, it's this, do not judge. And somehow that that has really become like the banner of Christianity. Uh, This word judge in the Greek is this word krino, and um, it's actually completely unuseful to say it and study it, like nobody's going to go do that, but it's this word krino. And this word judge actually has several meanings when it's used in Scripture, uh, when you start finding, when you start studying this word, you find that there's this massive range of what this word can mean. One, it can mean to make a moral judgment. Two, it can mean to make a judicial decision. Three, it can mean to enforce a law or to exact a lawsuit. Four, it can mean to it can mean God's judgment. Uh, five, uh, it, it can mean condemnation. And six, it can actually mean all of those things. And so, when we read the words of Jesus, we start going, Jesus, what's the nuance, what do you mean when you say, do not judge? And so I, I ran across this little diagram by an author named Sky Jatani, and uh, he's written a handful of books and produces a lot of online content that you can go, go and check out. But I wanted to post this diagram um, that he had posted on his Twitter account, just so you can see this, because I thought it was pretty genius, actually. And I think he paints a really good picture of what Jesus means by judgment, Um, there's this wide range of meaning. Judgment could simply mean to discern. And so you have a group of apples and you have a group of oranges. You put them together and you simply say, like, apples are not oranges. And it's an observation, basically. It's not a moral decision. It's just simply this observation. Apples aren't oranges. But the other side of the coin is not just discernment, but it's condemnation. That that apples are actually less than oranges, and that God hates apples, and so death to all apples. And um, this is the side that we end up erring on a lot of the time, is placing somebody as lesser than because they don't necessarily agree with or believe what it is we say. So this word krino in the Greek, it simply means to separate. in, In its simplest form, it means to separate. And so we, we often take it further than just separating, and that's what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about discernment. He, in fact, you're commanded to discern all throughout Scripture. The Sermon on the Mount would make no sense if we didn't have a calling to discern as followers of Jesus. The, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Corinth said this, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments for... Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And so, what Paul says is that the Spirit of God in you gives you the ability to discern what's going on in the world. This is a really good thing, amen? It's really good that we have this discernment by the Spirit. But how many of you know that, that, that sometimes discernment can go one step further and it can turn into condemnation? It's not just apples are or not oranges, it's actually apples are better than oranges, and God hates oranges. And so, again, death to all oranges. And so condemnation becomes pronouncing this verdict. It's, it's like taking out this gavel, and it's like us playing judge and saying, not only is that thing that you believe wrong, but you're wrong as well. God thinks you're wrong. And it's people who set themselves up as these moral guides, as these people who, who want to point out everything that's wrong in everybody else's life. They're critics of one another, and this is who Jesus is talking about here, people who carry around this gavel, not just discerning, but saying you're wrong in the very core of your being, which is why judgment then becomes so very painful in our lives. If you've been judged by somebody in your life at some point, you know how badly this hurts to to carry that, and try to figure out who God actually says you are, and it's not just saying something's wrong, it's saying someone is wrong, like you are wrong. And so what Jesus wants to do is sort of figure out a better way, chart a better way forward. And so the, the early church wrestled with these words of Jesus. In fact, Jesus' own brother James says this. He's echoing Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not speak evil against one, against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so he says when we put ourselves in the place of God, when we judge somebody, really what we're saying is that we're God and you should listen to us. You're not God, and I'm just going to tell you um, where you're right and where you're wrong. And this is what James is saying. In judging, we, we made the same exact mistake that Adam and Eve made in the garden. We set ourselves up as gods and we fail to live as citizens of gods. And I love the way that John Wesley put this. He says, the judging that Jesus condemns here is thinking about another person in a way that is contrary to love. And the reality is that you and I have been placed uniquely and specifically by God in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in this world. And the reason we're here the, the, the presence of kingdom citizens is to be life-giving, not judgment-pronouncing. We're, we're to season the earth. And so can we admit this morning that that's hard for people who spend a lot of time wrestling with the words of Jesus? That that's hard for people who've tried to understand what God would want us to do and how God would actually want us to live. It's easy to hold the Bible in one hand and then hold a gavel in the other and say, this is what God says, do it this way, and you're wrong if you don't. And so we have this proclivity within us to judge, especially if we feel as though we know God's will. But Jesus urges us, he pleads with us in the Sermon on the Mount, to posture ourselves as God's citizens in his kingdom, but not as God's ourselves. We're actually in submission to him. And so look at the person next to you this morning, and I want want you to say this, person to your right, and say, judgment is not your job. (laughs) And then I want you to look at the person to your left and say, condemnation is not your job. Because we often walk around carrying this gavel and sometimes it's disguised, sometimes it's hidden and sometimes it's exposed. And I've noticed that we will typically put the gavel back in our pocket when people think the same way we do, when people talk the same way we do, when people believe the same things that we do and very rarely do we pronounce judgment on people who look like us. Um, a quick caveat. Uh, Growing up, my my parents were always super gracious. We could do whatever we wanted, wear whatever we wanted, as long as we were good kids making good decisions and kept our grades up. And so there were seasons where our hair was dyed and bleached and seasons where we had earrings and, you know, later in life tattoos. But um, I I was always grateful to my parents that they sort of let us have this loose leash as long as we were making good decisions. But I will tell you, making those decisions to look that way often got me some weird eyes. Um, Shane Byler's parents are here this morning and Shane and I hung out junior high and high school together and dressed the same. And sometimes it meant getting pulled over and getting accused of doing things that I was not doing because I simply looked the part. And we're so guilty of placing judgment on people because they look different than us. And maybe it's not coincidence that everybody we want to judge doesn't look like us. Maybe there's something that Jesus wants to draw to the surface this morning to cause us to wrestle with this a little bit. Maybe he isn't just on your side, under our arm, going like, go get him, Chris. I'm with you. But maybe... Jesus is in the middle drawing both people to him. Maybe, just maybe. So the question I think Jesus wants us to wrestle with in a really practical way is why it's better to be a non-judgmental presence in this world. And he gets really, really practical, like boots on the ground. He He plays sort of on our desire to have this good life and here's what he says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. There is some debate over whether or not Jesus is talking about temporal, like earthly judgment now or eternal judgment later. And I tend to sort of think that there's evidence that he points to the fact that he's talking about temporal, like earthly judgment by other people now. And here's the way I'd sort of reframe it. If you're a jerk to other people, they're going to be jerks to you. I mean, it's really plain and simple. Jesus says judgment is sort of like a boomerang, in a sense. You throw it out there and it comes flying right back at you. And he's not saying the the same thing someone who believes in karma would say. He's saying that the way of wisdom, the way the world works, is that if you judge other people, you're going to have a more critical eye towards yourself. If you profess to follow Jesus, there's going to be people who hold a magnifying glass up to your life and go, I'm not sure we like that guy. And Jesus says that's simply the way the world works. I mean, I see that now more than ever. We're just being a pastor in these days. Um, it, it, people want to push you into a certain category, and if you don't fit that category, then they push you into a different category. And honestly, people are always looking for the speck in your life. Like they want to figure out where you're wrong because all they've seen in life before is pastors who have a moral failing or pastors who you know, laundered money or pastors who did this or that or took advantage of people or manipulated, whatever it is. And so they're looking for the one thing in you where they can find that discrepancy and go at you and say, see, he's just like everybody else. And believe it or not, it's not just with pastors, it's anybody who professes to be a follower of Jesus. They're making assumptions about you. And here's the second thing Jesus says. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own? What a funny statement that Jesus makes. Everybody in Jesus' day when he said this would have paused for a second and chuckled a bit. I mean, this is... Quite funny, there's a massive log sticking out of your eye and you're going up to your brother or your sister and going, can I help you with that speck of sawdust in yours? And it was intended to be a little bit humorous and kind of ironic, but he says, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. Here's another thing that Jesus says about judgment, that judgment is always hypocrisy. And here's Why? Because you and I could always be judged for something that we've done. There's something in our life that's off. There will always be a discrepancy. There's something in our life that's broken. That's just reality. There's some way that we're like resisting the invitation and the opportunity to follow the way of Jesus. All of us have some off thing. There's something that we could be judged for always in our life if people only looked far enough. So how many of you are grateful this morning that God doesn't act like that towards you? Is that not an amazing thing? That that Jesus is saying, listen, when we start to point out the speck in our brother's eye, what we're actually doing is feeding our own arrogance and feeding our own pride, which is often our log, and, and that we're doing so in a way that's not going to bring that person life or us life. And so judgmentalism is typically fueled by self-righteousness. It's fueled by pride, and that's Jesus' point that he's getting to. He's getting to the heart once again. The the problem is that arrogance is probably one of the most acceptable sins in the church. It goes under the radar. It's hidden because it's not blaring and out in front, and it's not something that's necessarily frowned upon by the culture. It's the hardest to detect, and, and it's the easiest for us to defend. It's just confidence. I'm just right, and there's nothing that I can do about it, right? (laughs) It's the culture we live in. And so can we admit for a moment today that we sort of pick and choose which sins we want to judge? And we pick and choose how harshly we actually want to judge them. It was interesting in that book, Unchristian, christian that I referred to earlier. They said, our research with Christians confirms that often we miss the point of reflecting Jesus to outsiders because we're too busy catering to the expectation of other believers. We're just trying to keep everybody happy. And so let me say this, Anthem CDA. We are this collection of people, the the church in in general, but Anthem CDA, we are this collection of people. We are a collection of sinners that Jesus has actually called out as saints we don't gather under the banner of our goodness, we don't gather under the banner of our perfection, we gather under the banner of God's grace. And so every time we walk through these doors, every time we take communion together, we're making a declaration that we are a people who are in desperate need of God's mercy today. We need him, that's who we are. And so Jesus asks us a question, in light of who you are, what right do you have to judge? And why try, uh, And we try to take the log out of our own eye and go, N- no, no right, <laughs> none. And finally, Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And Jesus is saying, oftentimes, like, we just do not see clearly. Have you ever spent time in your life trying to untangle a mess that's often like your own motivation for doing something? Have you ever tried to figure out why you did something, why you said something, why it is that you believe something? Have you ever tried to figure out your motivation for something and how many of you think that it's a real easy thing to do to find your motivation? Anybody? At 41 years old I'm still trying to figure out my motivation for things and I'm not always clear on that. But determining our own motivation is really hard. Determining someone else's motivation is basically impossible. If We can't do it for ourselves, how can we do that for somebody else? And Jesus is saying, hold up. Like oftentimes what we do, the log that we have in our own eye, our own pain, our own brokenness, our own shortcomings, is what we often project onto the world around us. It's our pain that we project onto other people. So an easy example of judgmentalism are Christians that are picketing a military funeral or picketing a gay person's funeral, and they have signs that say things like, God hates, fill in the blank, dot, 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 dot. And I think that type of judgmental attitude, it breaks my heart on two levels. One, it breaks my heart that oftentimes that's what people think of followers of Jesus, that that's who we are, and it's not. But two, it breaks my heart because they're probably projecting their own pain and their own sort of internal narrative onto the world around them. And so I often sit there and ask questions like, what is their, their own like, internal narrative? What's their story? I think that the signs people hold up could more accurately read things like, I have the sneaking suspicion that God hates me. That it's actually their own story being panned out in the things that they're getting behind because our pain is often what we project. And so if they're projecting hate, it's probably what fills their soul because we all project what's on the inside of us. We all project our pain onto the lives of others. And so when you meet somebody who's sure of God's love, they're usually people who are deeply aware of their brokenness. It's what I love most about people who have walked with Jesus for years on years on years is they know their brokenness, they know where they're weak, and they realize that they're only strong because of Christ in them, but they're willing to acknowledge their weakness. They're people that know they've done nothing to deserve this, and yet The king of kings and the Lord of lords has showered mercy and grace down upon them. And then they in turn are able to share that with the world around them. So what Jesus says is because of these reasons, judgmentalism is one, like a boomerang. You're going to be judged in the same way that you're judging others. And it's always hypocrisy. And it's often misperception. We're we're reading a situation wrong because we have this log in our eye and we don't actually see it clearly because that's true of judgment. Jesus says, man, judgment is really unhelpful. It doesn't help things. I bet nobody's ever judged or condemned somebody and had somebody come to them and say, thank you, I'm really glad you slammed the gavel. Like that really, that was helpful. Like it wasn't. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. And that's what's crazy is Jesus sort of turns this phrase and then he like amazingly kind of leads us out of the woods and saying uh, we don't want to live that way. Like this is not who you are. We don't want to live as people who are judgmental of the people around us. But we do have people in our lives that we feel are making bad decisions. Does anybody know anybody that's not making a bad decision right now? We all have that. We have people in our lives who feel Like, if they keep going down that road, it's not gonna lead to a good place. There's people you know and love that are struggling with addiction right now. There's people that you know and love who are probably thinking of calling it quits in their marriage, or they're thinking about getting into a marriage that they probably shouldn't get into. And there's people that we know that are standing on the edge of a cliff. cliff, And how do we talk to those people? Have you ever read through the Gospels and thought, like there's something about Jesus, like he didn't say easy things, he said really hard things, and he didn 't say what people always wanted to hear, and yet people who didn 't want to hear it actually gathered around Jesus to listen to him and Jesus spoke the truth honestly, and yet people seemed to love him, even though he was saying really hard things and have you ever noticed that that Jesus looks a lot different than the church looks today. Like, Let's be honest. What was it about Jesus, about the way he treated people, about the way he interacted that allowed him to be this non-judgmental presence, this life-giving presence in the people that he encountered? Instead of carrying around a gavel, Jesus carries around a flashlight. And what you see Jesus doing is sort of pointing things out. He's revealing truth. He's inviting us to align our lives with his, and this is sort of where he goes in this next section of the Sermon on the Mount, but listen to the way he says it in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So Jesus's expectation is that we would do some speck removal of our own, that we would be people who speak truthfully and honestly and life-givingly into the lives of other people. And if you're going, like, how in the world do I do that? I wanted to give you a handful of practical ways that I think this can actually pan out for you and I. That you can. The first thing is this, is I think we need to examine ourselves honestly. You can't be helpful unless you're first humble. And if we don't do the hard work of laying our lives bare before Jesus and then praying as David did in Psalm 139, he said, search me, O God, and know me, point out if there's any way offensive or wicked within me and lead me in the path of righteousness. Like if we don't lay ourselves open and bare to to say, God, like there's something in me that's off, then we will not have the ability to speak life-giving truth into the lives of other people. Like, your pride will actually shut other people down. And Jesus says, rightfully so. Like, you're not equipped to do the hard work of speck removal. If you're on your high horse, you can't. And so Jesus sort of says, get off your horse. Acknowledge your ways. And he doesn't say we can't judge, that we can't discern, that we can't read the room of sorts. But he says, before you even go do that, what's in your own eye? Are you humble enough to recognize where you're off? And so the reality is that we're all just one beggar trying to help other beggars find bread. Like we're all in this together, and that's the truth. And I love the way Henry Nouwen put this. He says, experience tells us that we can only love because we're born out of love, that we can only give because our life is a gift, and that we can only make others free because we're set free by him whose heart is greater than ours. When we have found the anchor places for our lives in our own center, we can be free to let others enter into the space created for them and allow them to dance their own dance, sing their own song, and speak their own language without fear. And he goes on to say in the same book, the great illusion of leadership is to think that a person can be led out of the desert by someone who has never been there. Like maybe the world is actually waiting for us to acknowledge our own plank. And maybe the reason they consider us judgmental as the first and foremost characteristic of Christianity is because they, say, they see a lot of people telling them what to do and the way things should be. They have yet to allow Jesus to shine the flashlight on their own heart and acknowledge the error in their own heart. This is like a divine, spirit-driven work, you guys. And so maybe one thing you can do this week is to just get silent. Maybe one thing you can do this week is to get alone, to let your heart get quiet and pray that simple prayer. God, search me and know me. God, point out if there's any way offensive in me and lead me in the path of everlasting life. And if we're going to be helpful, we have to first be honest and humble. Here's what he says next. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So this whole approach is, is one of how do we become speck removers? And people who care about others in such a way that we say, there's something in your eye that's affecting the, the way that you see. And there's something in your eye that's affecting the way that you live. There's something in your eye that, that, that we want something better for you. We care. It's not, you've got a speck in your eye, you're wrong. Change it. It's, you've got a speck in your eye. Can I help? Like, can I come alongside? Like, let me talk about the, the, the log in my own eye. Let, let's talk about my own issues and how I've found this path to wholeness in Christ. The goal for us as, as, us as believers is to be helpful. It's easy to try to be right, but it actually takes discernment, it takes wisdom to bring something that's of use to another person, and that's what we see, that's what we look at. It's what John says about Jesus in John three seventeen. He says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn, or to crino that same word, the world, but to save the world, to heal it, to bring it to a place of restoration through him. The Apostle Paul writes back and forth to the church of Corinth, and there's some things that he says that, that, that hurts their feelings. And listen to what he says when he writes back and forth to them. If I cause you sorrow by my, le- by my letter, I do not regret it. <laughs> Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. Listen to that. So the invitation to people is repentance. The invitation to people is life. It's wholeness. It's healing. It's not condemnation. Repentance always leads us to life because of God's kindness. And so here's another thing to experiment with this week. Instead of forming an opinion about somebody who's different than you, who looks different than you, who believes differently than you, what if you paused when you sensed yourself doing that this next week? And then instead of doing that, you prayed. What if you took a moment and you prayed a prayer of blessing over that person? What if you prayed for their well-being? What if you prayed for God's goodness to abound in their life? I, I, I decided to do that this week leading up to this message And what I found was that there are more times in my life than I'd like to admit to you that I have a tendency to judge others. And and, and diverting that and then replacing it with prayer, it's this amazing practice that's life-giving for me because I find that it takes it off of me and it puts it onto God. Focus on him and wanting others to be restored in Christ. And so Jesus says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Whenever we do speck removal, like having a hard conversation or addressing something with somebody that maybe we disagree with, we always operate from a place of relationship. And that just seems like something that our culture has lost. For a culture that is so hyper-fixated on community, we actually lack relationship. We, we like being around people and being part of something, but relationship is something deeper. Relationship with somebody actually gives you right to speak into somebody's life and gives them right to speak into yours. It's not cheap community. It actually costs something to be a part of something like that. And honestly, like, the, like you watch online right now and all you see is people hurling these truth bombs, right? It's like, post a statement online that's kind of like taking the grenade and hurling it over the fence and just waiting for the thing to blow up in somebody's face and seeing how they're going to respond. And the horrible thing about that is, what is your purpose? It's to destroy. It's to put somebody else in their place. Like, debates like that online rarely change people's minds. Like maybe you guys have seen them, I have not seen something nasty on Facebook written and in the comment thread, like it eventually end with somebody going, you know what, you're right, I see your point. Most of the time I see it go back and forth, back and forth, and then eventually somebody unfollows somebody else and that's just kind of the chain of events. And it's just like we're hurling these truth bombs because deep down in our heart, we don't want to see them being led to wholeness we actually just want to destroy. And it becomes about us and upholding our agenda and not the Lord. Fourth thing um, related to this is that we actually should be people that patiently pursue cooperation. You're not going to drag anybody, pin them down and say, listen, you've got a speck in your eye and lucky for you Like, I've done the hard work of removing my own logs. But now I'm going to sit on you. I'm going to pry your eyeballs back. We're going to get in there. We're going to do the hard work on you. It's about cooperation. Again, relationship. It's why if you've ever tried to intervene with somebody who has an addiction issue in their life, you know they need to come to a place where they want help in order to receive your help. They need to be willing to cooperate. And it's the same thing that Jesus is saying. You you ask for cooperation before you have this hard conversation. And we always want to interact with people with gentleness because we come from a place of care, because we actually love them. And so Jesus uses this analogy, this imagery of an eye. And so if you're doing work on an eye, there's something, uh, there's some sort of gentleness that's involved there, right? Uh, it's the exact same thing that Paul says when he writes to the church in Galatia uh, uh, about having hard conversations and he said brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently is what he says and it's this picture in the greek of like setting a broken bone is what it's what it's talking about a bone like has to be set with a lot of care, it has to be set with a lot of focus, it has to be put together perfectly. And you may not be aware of this this morning, but let me remind you that your words actually carry weight. That they can either develop people and lead them to wholeness, or they can cut people and destroy them. And so the question is, how do you use that in your life? What do you do with that? And Jesus says, work with gentleness. Um, A thought I had this week was when when we see somebody different than us, we often start to form an opinion and we start to judge and we come up with a story for why they are the way they are. Anybody ever done that before? Like you're just watching them, you're like, oh yeah, you're trying to figure them out and figure out why they are the way they are. If they would have been more like me, they would have been, um, they would have done this and they would have done that and they wouldn't be where they're at today, And I was thinking this week, like, what if we flipped the story? What if we started to look at people and say, like, what if I was in their shoes? What if I grew up in the situation that they did with the same experiences, went through the same things? Where would I be at? And that's called empathy, and it's something that I'm not really good at, to be radically honest with you. I want to be better at that, empathizing with people. But it allows us to approach people with gentleness, with actual care. So finally, Jesus says this. I'll ask the worship team to come up. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So I think that clears everything up, right? Thank you, Jesus. That was an awesome one. I think the point that Jesus is making is in line with everything else he said. Is a pearl a good thing? Anybody here that would deny that a pearl is a good thing? A pearl is a good thing. It's a treasure. Have you ever seen a pig wear pearls? Anybody? I hope not. <laughs> Miss Biggie, you're right. Thanks. But what does a pig do with pearls? Nothing has no use for it. They trample it. They destroy it. And Jesus is saying, listen, your judgments might be right, but when you lob them to other people, can they actually receive them? When you handle it like that, can they do anything with them? And Jesus, his encouragement to us is that we proceed with wisdom. We don't just say true things. We actually say things that are both true and true and helpful, because what's our goal? Our goal is always restoration. Our goal is wholeness, that Jesus would enter in, that he would begin to heal. So we don't say, this is a pearl, and you should want it. How dare you not want this pearl? Do you know how much this is worth? No, we actually handle it with discernment. We pay attention to timing. Like it actually matters in the way people receive things. We pay attention to motivation, where we're coming from and where they're coming from. And the desire isn't to just be right for us, the desire for us is to be helpful. And so we pay attention to the way it's received because the goal is that we would be a life giving presence in the lives of others. Amen? I have a challenge for you guys. If you would stand with me before we sing. I challenge you this week to go read and pray through John chapter eight. That's your homework assignment. Read, reread, pray. Immerse yourself in that chapter this week. It's this amazing section of scripture in verses one through 11. Where there's this woman that's caught in the act of adultery. And there's these religious leaders there and they say, Jesus, like, here's a stack of rocks. Why don't we stone this woman? She's wrong. Let's condemn her. And Jesus looks at them and he starts to ride in the dirt and he says, how about whoever's without sin throw the first stone? And what he's saying is, how about you examine yourself honestly? And why don't you lead the charge? And they all start to walk away and then he approaches this woman and he sees her. And Jesus actually cares about her. And he speaks words of life, not death. Jesus operates from a place of relationship. He pulls her close and he actually asks for her cooperation. And he interacts with gentleness with her. And eventually he releases her to go and sin no more. And I want to be that kind of life-giving presence in the lives of people around me. Somebody sensitive enough to put themselves in somebody else's shoes and not just hurl the truth bomb because we know it's truth and they should believe what I believe, but somebody cares enough to grab the hand of the person next to them, to show that they care, that they love them, to hand them a glass of water. Somebody who cares more about their restoration and their wholeness than they do about them just getting things right. And the culture we live in right now It's insidious. It's all about figuring out who's right. And I racked my brain over the last three or four months trying to figure out what would it look like if Jesus walked the earth right now? What would it look like? I don't think Jesus would be taking sides. I think that Jesus would be looking for opportunity to draw all men to himself. I think Jesus would care. And I'll end with this. Last night, I had a, a meeting downtown and it actually went kind of late. And there was uh, that shooting down at the Iron Horse last night and I heard the, gun, the gunshots and was like, thought it was fireworks at first. And I, so I, when I left this meeting, I drove downtown and it was just chaos down there. There were cop cars everywhere and they were chasing after this guy this house a few blocks north, and they were lighting off these flashbangs, and it was the whole scene downtown, downtown was like chaotic, man, and, um, and then there was the winds blowing in off of the, the fire out by the gorge, and so all the air just like smelled of smoke, and it was this very eerie feeling driving around thinking like, what is going on? And I just kept getting this image of like Jesus stepping into the time. Jesus bringing peace in an earth that's full of chaos. Jesus caring more about the hurt and the brokenness of people than he does about them trying to get things right. About us acknowledging our own error and the things that we can fix in our own life before we go seeking after others to fix them. And realizing that Jesus was this gentle presence that just cared That's my prayer for us, that we be a people that are known by our care, by our gentleness, by our humility, by our love. Not a people who are known by the truth bombs we threw on Facebook and what we hurled at that person to try to fix them and get them right, while we lived our life in arrogance, thinking that we had the way and they should come to where we're at. It's just not the way of Jesus. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, I can't help but acknowledge that we live in a pretty broken world. And um, I can't help but acknowledge that without you, Jesus, we would not have a leg to stand on. And uh, God, I'm praying for each individual in this room today. As I know there's situations they're stepping into. I know there's people in their life that they're having conversations with. And God, I'm praying that you'd season their conversations. I'm praying, God, for your spirit to break in in the situations that just seem like they're frustrated and they just want people, or maybe it's their kids, maybe it's their friends, maybe it's their neighbors. They just want them to figure it out and do what's right. And yet, Jesus, you're somewhere in the midst of that, in pursuit of that person. And I pray that our hearts would be to be in pursuit of them, loving them having empathy for them, desiring them, for them to know the truth, to be drawn to repentance, to get on their knees and turn their lives to Jesus, but that the way we engage them would be out of love and compassion for them and desiring to see them become whole and healed, Jesus, just as you've done for us. And so I pray your spirit be upon your church, and as we leave these doors, that we'd be known for our kindness and we'd be known for our our gentleness, but we also be known as people that uphold the truth, people that stand for the truth, but people that lace the truth in love and compassion and empathy, Lord. And so I pray, Jesus, that you'd move throughout this next week. I pray for us even as we maybe spend time praying and reading through John chapter eight this week that you, um, Lord, would do a work in our hearts and lead us to a place, Lord, where we could understand Um, lead us to a place where we would feel motivated in our hearts to be your hands and feet, God, to have compassion for those that you've put in our life and to lead them to the feet of Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.